Good morning, Lake Church. It's good to be here this morning. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to be continuing series on cross-eyed, which is removing the obscurity uh, of, of our perception of the cross. And when we say that, we're talking about not just the crucifixion of Jesus, because that's the beginning of the work of redemption, but the whole redemptive work of Jesus. It's what we're talking about. You know, we come into uh, the faith by revelation of the cross. And uh, we continue in the faith by revelation of the cross. It doesn't change. It's not supposed to change. However, uh, what usually happens to believers is we start out purely uh, receiving from God by grace, which is what God did for us freely without our cooperation, without our consent. The fact is, before we were ever even born, us that are here today, that Jesus went to the cross. Uh, and we come into the faith, you know, purely by grace through faith. You know, just as the song says, just as I am without one plea. But somehow, once we get started, we get these religious ideas that you know, we don't attain our righteousness by works, but then we begin to shift over and we, tar- we start trying to maintain our righteousness by works of the law. And we've come by that honest because honestly, the church has presented a mixture of uh, grace and law, which is what the whole topic of the book of Galatians is about. It's actually, the Apostle Paul says in chapter 1, he he pronounces a divine curse upon anybody who would mix the law with the grace of God. So God's pretty serious about his message. uh, Because what the law or what legalism does is it blinds us to the work of redemption. In fact, I believe that it's the primary way that the believer is blinded in his his life and hindered from becoming a mature believer uh, is because we get out of, we get our focus off of the finished and complete and perfect work that Jesus did for us, and we get our eyes on what we're doing. And what happens when we begin to function that way is we shift out of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and we begin to operate by self-effort. That's what the law is empowered by. It's not empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not empowered, it's not operated in by faith. In fact, uh, Galatians 3.12 says the law is not of faith. If you read that in the Passion Translation, it says it is of self-effort. So when you're trying to keep the law in order to make yourself righteous, you are not operating by the power of the Spirit. You're operating by the power of your own self-effort. And the righteousness you're going to operate in is the, is the level of righteousness you can produce through your own self-effort. And let me tell you, the Bible declares in Isaiah that our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. 
Oh man, I'm telling you, the gospel reveals to us that by the law, we could never produce the righteousness of God. If we could, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and suffer on the cross. And when we begin to believe that we can, by our own performance and by our own works, begin to manifest the righteousness of God apart from the work of the Spirit, we, we treat the grace of God in vain. We take it in vain. We treat it as if it's needless in our life. And so when we're talking about being cross-eyed, we're talking about having a clear uh perception of the finished work of Jesus and what it means to us. I was praying in here the other day and as I rounded this corner, I I was looking here and I saw this representing the uh, finished work of Jesus, the whole of it, because we come to the cross, uh, we put our sin at the cross of Jesus and we receive his righteousness, but Jesus didn't stop there. He was buried, resurrected, and then he ascended. And he sat down at the right hand of God at the throne. See, the redemptive work of Jesus isn't just the cross. It's from the cross to the throne. It's from the cross to the throne. So it's from beginning to end by faith, not by works, by faith. It's so hard for people to just walk in the grace of God by faith because this world system is built on a works-based system. You get what you deserve, right? See, the grace of God is you get what you don't deserve. See, any believe, any person can understand you get what you deserve. Anybody can. We're, we're, we're indoctrinated with that our entire life. So once we become a believer, we have to change the way that we operate. We have to begin to trust in the grace of God. We have to trust in the unseen things that Jesus accomplished on our behalf. We have to accept them by faith. We have to receive them. We have to lambano them in the Greek. We have to take them and we have to embrace them and identify fully with them. And when we do, the Holy Spirit is then able to begin to operate in our life and He produces the righteousness of God. He produces holiness, true holiness, true holiness, not a counterfeit. It's not me reforming myself and, and, and operating in behavior modification. It's actually literally the nature and character of God beginning to be produced in my life as a fruit. Holiness is a fruit. And so we've got to get our eyes holy, I mean W-H-O-L-L-Y, on the finished work of Jesus. And keep it there. And keep it there. Let's read a few verses just to kind of to move in. So my intention today, because the last two times I, I uh, preached on legalism, and uh, hopefully I fully presented to you the idea that you cannot operate in that and experience the riches of Christ. Can't be done. So today my intent is to present to you the method 
of transformation. Because listen, we know Jesus didn't just come to get us to heaven. He came to replicate his life in us. I'm going to say that again. He came to replicate his life in us. He wants a transformed people. Because the world doesn't need to see the best version of you. The world needs Jesus. And that's what legalism will produce, the best version of you. But even the best version of you falls short of Jesus. You know, Jorge's exhortation about unity, walking in forgiveness, walking in love. Um, that's, you know, that's hard to do. That's a high standard, right? Because here's what Jesus said about it. He said, he didn't say uh, to, the, to, to love those who love you. Come on, somebody. No, his standard is to love those who don't love you. See, anybody can love those who love you. He said the true spiritual maturity is your ability to love those who don't love you. In fact, not just those who don't love you, but those who have done you wrong. So let me say this. The Christian life isn't hard to live. It's impossible in your own strength. (laughs) The Christian life isn't just hard to live. It is impossible And Jesus is the standard. My goodness, on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There it is. There's the standard. That's what grace can produce in your life. But legalism is what put him on the cross. I mean, they're the ones who stirred up the crowd and said, crucify, crucify. It's amazing how people are so fickle, you know. One week uh, before that, they were... Crying, (laughs) Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One week later, they're yelling, crucify, crucify. So that's how fickle the flesh is. It can't be trusted. Only operating in the grace of God are we able to begin to allow Jesus to live through us. Now, I tell you what, that was one of the greatest revelations to me. Was that I am not called to live for Jesus. I'm called to yield to Jesus who is on the inside of me and allow him to live through me. Okay, but to do that, you have to function the way in the supernatural strategy that God has uh, revealed in his word. And it's opposite what your natural tendency is going to be. Because our natural tendency is to trust in ourselves. In pride, we want to we want to get our uh, props from us doing something. But when you truly operate by grace through faith, it's all Him. He gets the glory. So, in uh, let's let's read this in First Corinthians two verse one it says, "And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellency of speech." Or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let's look at uh, chapter 15, verse 1 in 1 Corinthians. This is Paul talking again. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declared to you 
the gospel. The word gospel in the Greek just means good news. That he came bearing good news, which I preached to you, which also you receive, and in which you stand. Did you catch that? Not only do we enter in through receiving the gospel, but we continue to stand in the truths that are unveiled there. It's not, see, I believe the church has seen the gospel as an introductory message. That we think, oh, that's the doorway, but then we shift over. See, that's where the problem, no, he says you received it and it's in the gospel in which you stand. Okay, then he says, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast that word. What word? The word of the gospel. That word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. There it is, the whole gospel is not only what we receive, but in which we stand. Gospel-centered transformation, not gospel then law, not a mixture. In fact, I think that the body of Christ has been uh, suffering under a mixture for a long, long time. And I believe that... Coming up to these last days, you know, the revivals that great prophets saw, I think they saw the church was going to move into, move out of the mixture and into the true, pure revelation of what Jesus really did for us through his finished work. Now we say finished work all the time. But then we, we kind of operate like it's the unfinished, finished work of Jesus. Mm. It's kind of like the unconditional or the conditional, unconditional love of God. Mm. So see, that's what Paul preached. He preached the gospel, even in the book of Romans. You know, he said, I want to come to you. He had never been there to that church. He heard about their faith. It had made its way to him. And uh, he was so desirous to go and set them in order so that they could be established is what he said. And so he wasn't able to go, so he just wrote him a letter. You know what he presented to them? The gospel. <laughs> That's what he pre- They were already a church. Their faith was so great it was known in the whole world is what he said. And he didn't go take a, a message of how they could straighten their lives up. He unveiled to them the realities and the revelation of the gospel and what Jesus had accomplished and provided for them through his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and seating at the right hand of God. And he didn't do that for himself. He did it for the body of Christ. And we are all, in, in fact, we are all included from the cross to the throne. 
Not just the cross. We were included in the finished work of Jesus from the cross to the throne, which is why Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we were dead, but he made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together with him, and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were included in every bit from the cross to the throne. Mm. But our mind hasn't caught up to the realities of what Jesus accomplished. Man. We shift over and we begin to operate by our own works. Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. I'm not going to camp on these. I'm moving by. I'm saying that by faith. But I want you to see this. The Galatian church had begun to operate in a mixture Paul had come, this is the first Gentile church at Antioch in this, in this area. And they were totally growing by grace through faith. But then some other people came along. Some other people came along and they brought a mixture. And the church began to, to waver. And actually, you know what it caused? Disunity. You know what Jorge was talking about this morning? Unity. Actually, legalism pro- produces a disunity in the church. You know why? Because people start comparing with each other. They start competing with each other. They start measuring each other by each other's holiness. That's what happens. That's what legalism causes because you begin to look at yourself and then you know you don't measure up to the standard. So the way that you do is just look for somebody else that you're better than. (laughs) What a deception. What a deception. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You know what he's actually saying here is that it takes demonic uh, influence to begin to operate not in the grace of God, but in works. The devil wants to get you out of operating by grace through faith and get you into works of the law. Oh man, he opened, he gets you to open the door for disunity to come in. He says, uh, that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Now they weren't there at the cross. So how was Jesus Christ clearly portrayed? Through the preaching of Paul in the gospel. He preached it so clearly, so concisely that it, they were able to see it in their heart. Not with these eyes, but with these eyes. And understand the meaning of it. Because it's one thing to have been there physically and watched this man die on the cross. It's a whole other thing to have the apostle explain the meaning. And what was happening in the unseen realm at the same time that Jesus was being crucified in the seen realm. I don't know if you caught that or not. The Gospels give us a picture. It reveals to us the history of Christ. But Paul's writings in the New Testament, they give us an x-ray vision. They present to us the mystery of Christ. Oh, man. He said, "This this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit? 
By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So this is talking about the, the born again experience. Did you receive that by works of the law or just simply by hearing with faith the message that was being preached? Those of you who are born again, did you receive the, the spirit by works of the law? No, when we got saved, I'll tell you what, when I got saved, I wasn't reading my Bible. I wasn't going to church. I wasn't paying tithes. I wasn't doing all of the things that we set before ourselves to become righteous. I wasn't doing any of those things. I simply heard the good news and I heard it with faith and I believed it and I declared my agreement with it. Okay, so most people get that. But he goes on, he says, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? See, he calls that operating in the spirit. He says, are you now being made perfect? That word perfect means mature. Are you now moving toward maturity by the flesh? Well, that's what the law is. It's operating in the flesh. Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Now look at this. Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you is going to ask another question. And works miracles among you. Does he do it by works of the law or by hearing of faith? So you know what it tells me? All we have to do is preach the grace of God. And faith is present for miracles. Why? Because when I preach the grace of God... It is fully presenting what Jesus did to qualify me to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in life. But if I preach law, it's going to take away your ability to believe that you're qualified to receive. See, by grace, Jesus already provided all of it. He already provided all of it. In fact, he put within you the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The very same spirit, the, the same spirit that raised Jesus' dead body. He put on the inside of each and every believer. So your, your answer is not outside of you, it's within you. But you've got to come into agreement with that in order for it to be released into your life. And if you're looking at yourself trying to qualify yourself, you're blinded to the fact that you've already been qualified. But that happens so much. People are needing healing. And what are they doing? They're examining their life. And trying to get themselves in position to qualify for what Jesus already qualified us for. In, that, in, in other words, you can say it like this. We're trying to uh, improve upon what he perfected. How arrogant is that to think I could improve upon what Jesus perfected? There's our problem. We're full of ourselves. Hmm. We're full of ourselves. And when you're full of yourself, you don't leave much room for Jesus. Hmm. Let's read uh, Galatians 3, 1 in the Passion, and then we'll move on. What has happened to you, Galatians, to be acting so foolishly? You must have been under some evil spell. See, there it is. Didn't God open your eyes to see the meaning of Jesus' crucifixion, 
Wasn't he revealed to you as the crucified one? Now let me share with you once again, I know I've said these, we're going to go through them quickly. Three dimensions of revelation of the cross. You got to get all three. There's always three dimensions to revelation knowledge. Three. Because it's divine and three is the number of divinity. So the first revelation is that Christ died for us. Most people believe that. They understand that. Romans 5, 8. Uh, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he died for us. Number two, Christ died as us. So there was an exchange. He was a substitute. But not only did he stand in our place, he actually took upon himself the nature of sinful man. He, He became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He became what we were so that we could become what he is. I know this probably you're going, oh, this is so simple. It needs to get bigger on the inside of you. The simplest truths are often the most profound. The third dimension is that we died with Christ. Paul said uh, in Galatians 2.20, well, I don't want to read it there yet. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does that mean? I was crucified with him. Who I was before was crucified with Christ. Listen, this is spiritual. That's why it's hard to grasp with your, with your carnal mind, with your physical mind. It's hard to grasp. You have to receive it with your heart. But God actually put the nature of the Adamic race on Christ at the cross and he died as a substitute. So it's not just him dying for us, it's him dying as us. And the third dimension is that we were crucified with Christ. Don't brush that off. I'm gonna show you in some scriptures here this morning that that is the key to transformation. It really is the key to beginning to yield to Jesus and let him live his life through you and getting out of this trying to live for him and present something to him in order to get something in exchange. You got to get the revelation that you got everything. And if you just yield to what you've already got in faith, you'd begin to manifest and Jesus would begin to operate through you and you would see his life, his nature, his character, his power just become a fruit in our lives. Hmm. Look at this in the Passion Translation. My old identity has been crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. And I did a message uh, years ago called uh, Alive After Death. It's really talking about this very thing. You know, I came to the realization after I got born again, who I was was not still there and I'm trying to reform him. I had, I got the revelation. He was dead. 
See, we talk about some, sometimes we talk about stuff, you know, that happened before. You know, I had a lot of stuff going on in my life that I'm not proud of. But I can share my testimony freely and openly. Why? Because that's not me. I'm talking about who I was before I was crucified with Christ. And in fact, when I talk about it, it doesn't even seem real because that man that did those things was crucified with Christ. And when I was raised again, I was raised again in him. And now he's my new identity because who I was was crucified, buried. And when Jesus was raised again, he didn't come up with him. My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah, no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. See, the reason you're struggling, the reason a lot of believers are struggling is they're trying to live for Jesus instead of working on the renewing of their mind so he can begin to live through them. He it says, we live in union as one. The whole work of Jesus was not to get you to heaven. It was to get you in union with Jesus. Oh boy, I tell you what. Man, it's taken me 20 years to get to, I've known this for a long time, but I can say it with a conviction today. Man, we live in union as one. Amen. Now listen, if you just, uh, if you uh, appraise that statement on your outer man, your outer life, you won't have it. You won't get it. But when you take it by revelation, you'll start experiencing the reality of it. Jesus and, my, and myself, we live in union as one. Do we function in union as one all the time? No. But we live in union as one. We function in union as one to the degree that I've renewed my mind to the reality of the fact that we live in union as one. Come on now. He says, my new life is empowered there it is. Empowered. Where, where, what are you being empowered by? The flesh or the spirit? My new life is empowered by the faith of the son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. You can get to the place to where you are Literally being energized by the life of Christ that's on the inside of you. I was talking on Wednesday night, you know, how you got to remember what part of the Bible you're reading in. Because like in the book of Psalms, he says, I look to the hills where my help comes from. Well, I don't look to the hills. I look to the Christ that's on the inside of me. My help isn't on the hills. My help's in my heart. My help's in my spirit. It's, the, it's within me. Everything I need is within me already. But there's a, there's a way to tap into that. There's a way to partake of it. And it's by faith. 
It's operating in a supernatural uh, ability to not only to perceive the work of Christ, not the work he did, the work he did within. I hope you're, I hope you're with me on this. What does it mean? It says the just shall live by faith. What does that mean? It means by faith in the inward work that Christ did in me as a new creation. As I begin to believe that and embrace it, then I'm able to walk in it. And the energy of the Spirit is right there available to come on now. Why greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world? So I, am cruci- I was crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Check this out. So Paul was talking about all the stuff he went through, all the persecution, all the suffering. My goodness. You know, we haven't. We're soft. I'll just say that. We're soft. Go read the things he went through. Beaten with rods, left for dead, stoned, and not Creek County stoned, but Israel, Israel stoned. And you all knew what I was talking about, too. (laughs) Fallen among thieves, shipwrecked. I mean, he went through a lot. But he kept going on. He had the ability to endure. You know why? He said, the love of Christ compels me. And you know what? It's not my love for Christ. It's Christ's love that for me is the energizer. That's what he was saying. Christ's love for me compels me to keep going. Because we judge thus. If one died for all, then all died. You know what that says to me? That every man was included in the work of Jesus from the cross to the throne. Every man. But look at the next verse. And he died for all that those who lived. There's a qualifier. It's not everybody's, not everybody's received of his life because that comes by faith. Those who live are those who have appropriated the finished work of Jesus by faith. And they passed from death to life. They've received eternal life. Those who live should no longer live for themselves. Here's the good news. You don't have to still operate in the selfish Adamic nature that's fallen and and living below the standard of what God created us to live and to function in. You can live above it. You can live by a new law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes you free from the law of sin and death. It's not just free to not sin, but free from the effect 
effects of it, free from sickness, free from disease, free from addiction, free from disorder, free from selfishness, free from fear, free from worry, free from anxiety, free from lack, free from all of the things, all of the effects that came into the human experience by sin. Free. When I say sin, I'm talking about the nature of it. I'm not just talking about the verb sinning. Yeah, you're freed from sinning. My goodness, the reason you came to Jesus was because sinning was killing you. (laughs) Sinning was killing me. That's why I went to the cross to begin with. I recognized the fact that it wasn't in me to lead my own life. I realized my inability to lead my life successfully. I realized my inability to make right decisions that would be a blessing to my life. And I was harming all the people around me. I threw myself at the foot of the cross and said, Jesus, Deliver me, save me, help me, transform my life. If you can do anything with this mess, here it is. And he's the God who takes your mess and turns it into a message. If you'll just trust in him, you don't don't have to no longer live here. Listen, say, well, myself isn't that bad. Yourself is your problem. I like that Scooby-Doo meme. I wish I would have thought of it ahead of time. He pulls the, pulls the mask and says, let's see who's causing all my problems. Pulls the mask off and it's him. That's <laughs> what we got to realize. It's, uh, it was us that was causing our problems. You know, in the world, everybody's blaming everybody else. When I finally got right was whenever I quit blaming everybody else and said, well, yeah. I mean, my prayer when I got saved, I confess Jesus as Lord, but I, I, I said, Father, I realize that my whole, all of my issues are because I'm running my own life. I had that revelation. And so he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Man, his, his resurrection is a couple of things. It's the proof that God accepted the payment in full. He, he accepted it. And his, his death uh, and burial accomplished everything we needed to be done. And so hell and death couldn't hold him any longer. They lost their grip and they'll lo- lose their grip on you. Oh, man. When you begin to identify with the finished work of Jesus, he says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Here's the thing. The word regard is the word ido. And it means to perceive. It means to evaluate or form an opinion of. Listen, we form, we do not form our opinion of other people according to who they are in the flesh, if they're a believer. Why? Because who they truly are is one with Jesus. And your eyes can fake you out. Oh, man. We're supposed to... See, love believes the best, hopes the best. We, it sees the best in people. Because when they're a believer, it sees the Christ in them. It sees the potential of heaven on the inside of every believer. 
And it ministers to them who they are in Christ. It's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. He comes uh, to his, the, his, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. First to our identity. And if we're children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs. Then to our inheritance. The Holy Spirit bears witness to our innocence because of the work of Jesus our identity because of the work of Jesus and our inheritance that's available to us because of the work of Jesus. We don't regard anyone according to the flesh. I remember I was reading this one day and the Lord said he was, you know, I was meditating on that. And I was like, Oh, okay. I see that. Cause the next verse says, cause of any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. So that's why I don't regard you according to the flesh. Okay. But as I was reading that, I was thinking, yeah, I can't regard people according to the flesh. I need to say what you say about them. Oh, come on now. Maybe the reason we haven't seen our families uh, because we've been saying what we're seeing Rather than saying what God says. Let me just, this is a little disclaimer. Doesn't mean we don't confront bad behavior. I'm not saying that. Paul corrected the churches. He always tied it to their identity though. When he dealt with immorality, he said, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. He reminded them who they were. But the Lord said to me as I was thinking about that, he said, yeah, regard no one according to the flesh, especially yourself. Because <laughs> listen, if you believe you're immoral, you'll act immoral. You live out of what you believe. Your life is exactly what you believe about yourself. Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So that means if I want to see transformation in my life, I need to believe something different in my heart. I can't evaluate myself in the flesh. I need to evaluate who I am in union with Jesus. I need to get a revelation of that so I can actually step into it. Does that make sense? What you believe. That's why the the power of the gospel is in believing. Religion makes it about behaving. Believing is the key to right behaving. Problem is church mixed it up and went backwards. So we were trying to behave to be. Rather than realizing what we have become. Believing it. And then we behave according to what we believe. Hmm. So even though we may have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him no longer. The people who didn't believe, it was because they saw him purely in the flesh. They didn't see through the flesh and who he truly was. And Paul said, I even saw him that way. Paul thought Jesus was an imposter, a fake, a fraud. And he, he uh, you know, persecuted the church because he didn't believe in who Jesus truly was according to the spirit. 
He was on his way with papers giving him the authority to arrest, imprison, and even kill men, women, and children for their faith. And Jesus struck him down on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, well, I'm persecuting these people. What do you mean you? Because Jesus takes personally. Why? Because we're one with him. Oh, man. He said, why are you persecuting me? He said, Lord, who are you? (laughs) So see, we've got to stop. This is one of the keys. You become what you behold. What you believe about yourself will manifest in your life. It will manifest in your life. Let's look at Romans chapter 6. I know I'm going through a lot of scriptures, but... I want you to really see that this is all over his teachings. He says, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death? You know, the word baptized, he's not talking about water baptism here. He's talking about what water baptism represents. When somebody gets water baptized, what are they doing? They're identifying with the death of burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They're doing that publicly to, as a profession of their faith, that they were included in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what that represents. But spiritually, you were included in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So it's about identification See, when we hear baptized, we think water. But this is talking about being identified with Jesus in his death. Fully identified with him in his death. He says, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were, baptized, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Listen, if you were included in the death, then it's just uh, the next step is to be included in the rest of it. That's why we can expect to live in newness of life because of the resurrection of Jesus. What does that symbolize? The fact that our old man died and we've been raised to newness of life. And that newness of life is the resurrection life of God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, which is resident and present on the inside of every believer. And that power is able to quicken you, which means to bring you to fullness of life and activity the way that God created you to function before there ever was sin. Verse five says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. What he's saying, it's just logical to realize that if you are included in and identified with his death, that you should just logically come to the conclusion that you're identified with his resurrection and the newness of life that it provides. Verse 6, knowing this, here's the key. This is all true whether you know it or not. But it will only impact your life 
if you know it. That's what he's saying. That experiencing newness of life is dependent on you knowing some things. That's why reading the Bible and hearing the word taught is so important. Because the will of God doesn't happen in our life automatically. It doesn't just happen. You know, so many people have this idea that if God wills something, it'll just happen. He'll do it to me. No, here's the, rea- here's the reality. He already did it in you. Yes. Not he needs to do it to you. He did it in you. Yes. And by knowing some things... It empowers you to be able to walk in those things that you know. That's what he says. Knowing this, here's what you need to know. Our old man was crucified with him. There's the third dimension of the revelation of the cross again. Our old man. You have to know that. When you get born again, you need the revelation that your old man, the old nature, is dead and buried and exists no more. You got to know it. Why? Because if you still believe that he's still there, if you still believe that that's who you are, it's going to be empowered. It's a lie that's going to be empowered in your life and influence the way that you live. Listen, a lie only has power in your life when you believe it. And that is the only tactic the enemy has. He doesn't even have temptation because James says temptation comes from your own lusts. But the power is in your deception. It's the deception. To not know this and still believe I'm an old sinner saved by grace. Uh Uh-oh. I stepped on some people's toes there. I felt that. Well, brother, we are old sinners saved by grace. You can be that if you want to, but I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you believe you're still an old sinner saved by grace, then you'll be wavering between the two. You'll be double-minded. And you'll be wavering in the duplicity of sin consciousness and sun consciousness. (laughs) <laughs> no, my old man's dead. Amen. He died. There was a resurrection in the Creek County Jail. <laughs> there was a crucifixion and a resurrection. I mean, when I got up, I knew I was a new man. I did. I knew it. Now you couldn't have. You couldn't have. Uh, be- you couldn't have believed that on the outside because listen, the outer. That what I was looking at with these eyes didn't look too good. But on the inside, I knew. On the inside, I knew. Oh, man. Your old man was crucified with him. Why? So that the body of sin might be done away with. So that you should no longer be slaves of sin. You're free. Free to be who God created mankind to be. Which is the son of God. Oh man, that is awesome. 
crucified with him, that the body of sin, what is the body of sin? The body of sin is the unrenewed part of you. See, when somebody dies, they leave behind a body. And when, when you died in Christ, he left behind a body. What is that body? Is your old attitudes, your old mindsets, your old ways of thinking, your old emotions that are, that were affected by you were trained how to live by the sinful nature. All that stuff's still there. It's the flesh. Man, I wish it just all got removed. That would be nice. One day when we get our glorified bodies, we'll be 100% renewed. And the, the, the struggle between the spirit and the flesh will be over. You know, but you can put to death that old sinful, that old body of sin. How? By the renewing of your mind. You know, I remember I heard Andrew Womack tell this story about a guy who worked in the morgue. And he was working in there and there was a dead body laying on the gurney. And he'd turn around, was doing something, he turned back around and that body was sitting up. And he said he just freaked out and ran out of the room. Well, was he alive again? No. But there were imp- there are impulses, electrical impulses and things still in a dead body where it can twitch and move and stuff like that. And man, that is such an awesome revelation of this because when I sin, because listen, we all still sin. We can just tear First John 1, 9 out of the Bible if you never sin anymore. The truth is, he said, I write to you this in, in chapter 2 of First John, that you may not sin. But if you do, he's trying to teach about how you deal with it. You know, when I do sin, you know what I say? That's just the old, uh, that's just the old body of sin just working itself out of my life. Just them old impulses and things. It's just where I haven't renewed my mind to the reality that as he is, so am I in this world. I don't get bothered by it. I don't get condemned by it. Do I justify? No, I hate that. I don't justify it, but I don't get condemned by it. Why? Because that's not who I am. That's not who I am anymore. I I say that. I'll say, well, that's not who I am. That's just the body of sin working itself out in my life. (laughs) Because listen, if you get condemned, you start believing that's who you are, you're just created a cycle. You're going to come back to that again. If you pray prayers like this, uh, Lord, I'll never do that again. Uh Uh-oh. Well, yep, look out. That's coming back around. We're going to circle back around to that again. I can promise you that. Because when you say, I'm not going to do something, the flesh rises up and says, bless God. Yes, we are. <laughs> I, I promise you. you. I know you've done it before. I'll never do that again. They say, you know, why did I do that again? Well, it's because you still believe that's who you are. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to be slaves to sin. Look at this in the uh, Passion Translation. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. You know, this chapter isn't talking about sinning. It's talking about sin, the nature. That's where people get this messed up because it says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? They just automatically, our religious thinking translates that, shall we continue to sin? That's not what it said. 
It said, shall we continue in sin? Shall we continue to be slaves to an old nature that's already been crucified, buried, that no longer exists? That's what he's talking about. Why would we continue to live as a slave to something we've been made free from? (laughs) Well, the only reason why is because if we don't understand what's happened to us through the finished work of Jesus. So that we would no, not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. You know, that isn't just talking about sinning. It's talking about all the effects of sin. We, so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sickness's power. Oh, come on now. That we would no longer uh, live no longer submitted to addiction's power. We would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to disorder's power. I'm telling you, everything that the old man was, was crucified with Christ. Hmm, wow. Verse 11, I'm just going to drop down there because here's what you got to do. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves. That word reckon is logizomai. It just means to come to the conclusion of. It means to take an accounting of this revelation and come to a conclusion. You know, the gospel, the power in the gospel is not about meeting the right conditions. It's about coming to the right conclusions. Man, you ought to write that one down. That's pretty good. Because religion says it's about meeting all the right conditions. If I can meet all the right conditions, then I'll have the benefit of what Jesus did. It's not the truth. It's in coming to the right conclusions. That's what that word means. To reckon, it means to come to the right conclusion based on what the word of God says. What is that conclusion? That I am dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am dead to sin and I'm alive to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Second Corinthians 3.18. This is not a method of transformation. This is the method. This is the way. If you're struggling, you've been trying to get all your ducks in a row. You've been trying to work it all out. Maybe you haven't tried the method. Here's the method. In fact, in this chapter, Paul is comparing. Go back and read it. He's comparing life under the law to life under grace. He makes the point that we are ministers of the spirit, not the letter. And he says the letter which was written and engraven on stones. Because a lot of people tell you, well, yeah, we're not under the ceremonial part of the law. We're not under the dietary part. We're not under uh, those parts of the law, but we're still under the Ten Commandments. Did you know in this chapter, he says, the letter written on stone. What part of the law was written on stone? There was only one part. Mm. That'll get you kicked out of a lot of places. I'm not saying, see, we fulfill the law by love, not by trying to keep all the things. When we yield to the nature 
When we begin to live out of the grace of God by faith, we yield to the nature of God, which is the Holy Spirit, and we begin to walk in the love of God. And love does no ill to his neighbor. But it starts with you. Jesus said this. He said that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Problem is, most people haven't loved themselves. So they treat their neighbor the same way they feel about themselves. Oh, man, I'm, I'm preaching better than you're saying amen on that. I'm telling you. We have it because we're still focused on who we are in the flesh. We're not fascinated by what God has done on the inside of us. Why? We're looking at the wrong thing. And he makes the point that the Old Testament was like a mirror. It revealed the glory of God and it had a measure of glory. But the measure of glory that the law had was was so small compared to the measure of glory that the gospel reveals that they're not even worth being compared to one another. In fact, it says Moses used to hide his face because the glory of God was on his face and he hid it because it was already fading. You know what that means? The law was only temporary. It only has a, a, it only has a fading glory to it. It isn't the full glory of God revealed in the person of Jesus. But oh my goodness. Shoot. I hope I'm communicating this good. There's another mirror. It's what the new covenant reveals. It's, it's what it reveals is our union with Jesus. And that we are fully identified with him. Paul said, uh, he who has joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Not one in flesh, one spirit. And he says, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Transformation is not a work of the flesh. It's a work of the spirit. And it doesn't come by behaving. It comes from beholding. (laughs) You see that? It comes from beholding. It comes from what you see. It comes from being cross-eyed. It comes from being cross-eyed. And we behold now through the new covenant and what it reveals, we behold the glory of the Lord, but not like looking through a window, looking through a mirror. You know what? When I read the things in the New Testament that the the word reveals about my union with Jesus and as he is now, I identify with those. Those are mine. That's who I am. Say, well, that's pretty bold. I'm just saying what God says. If you don't like it, take it up with him. (laughs) When we read from the new covenant, it shouldn't point, it's not pointing out who you are in the flesh. You are already well aware of that. You don't need the word of God to make that known to you. What you need to know is unseen realities. I had Mark make these pictures because I just wanted you to see this as an illustration. But as I read the word, this is what I believe this scripture is showing us. As we read the word and our mind is renewed to the reality of the new creation, we should begin to perceive ourselves different. Yeah. 
So I had him take this picture. Who's that handsome man? (laughs) But as I read the word and I begin to get the revelation, I should begin to see something different. That's he and I together. My perception begins to change from just who I am to who I am in union with him. And the more complete the revelation gets, the more he is what I see. Oh, man. Show that again. Because you can't become more righteous. You can only become more aware of how righteous you are in him. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Mm. I'm going to close with this. This, um, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell it. But in uh, Genesis chapter 30, Genesis chapter 30, if you remember the story of Jacob and Laban, you know, Jacob went to Laban's house and he spotted his bride-to-be that he wanted and worked seven years for her. And then on the night of their wedding, the girls got switched. And then he worked another seven years for for Rachel. And uh, so 14 years and Laban kept doing him wrong, changing his wages. He was working for him and stuff. And so finally Jacob said, when can I leave? Because he had kids and everything. He said, when can I get out of here and start my own life? And Laban said, man, I don't want you to leave because I'm blessed because of you. All of my herds have multiplied and I've become richer just because you're here. See, that's one of the manifestations of the blessing of God is increase. Oh, man, that's a message for another day. But he said, you know, he got a supernatural strategy from God. That's what God does. This is how our life changes. This is how you get things. God gives you supernatural strategies. The supernatural part is hearing him. Because the Bible says these are the sons of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. And God is creative and he never does anything the same way twice. He wants us to learn to have relationship with him and hear him and be led by his spirit and receive supernatural strategies. It was always a supernatural strategy. When the children of Israel were at the Red Sea, what did God say? Stretch forth your rod. What that have to do with parting the water? The supernatural part was in the receiving of the strategy. What would have happened if he hadn't lifted his rod over the sea? Nothing. Oh, come on now. So anyway, God gives Jacob this strategy. He says, take these limbs, strip the bark off. Man, this is so powerful. Because he made a deal with Laban that he would take all of the spotted and streaked uh, flock of the flock. And when Laban looked at them, they were all the weak ones. So he said, you bet, take all those you want. And Jacob said, and I'll, I'll tend your herds for you. And he said, and everyone that's born streaked and spotted, I'll just, I'll take those for myself. 
So Laban's thinking, well, all these are solid. None of these are speckled, spotted, streaked. So they're going to continue to have these. They're going to continue to produce like. Why? Because everything uh, produces according to its kind. And so God gives him this strategy. Take these limbs, strip the bark off uh, to where it's white. And when they come to drink, put those before the flocks. And also when they came to drink, they would conceive as they looked at these. Man, this is a powerful revelation. Receiving revelation of the word of God is like drinking. And when we drink in the word of God, we conceive something. So it depends on what you're looking at is what you're going to produce. So what happened was as they conceived at the watering hole, when they looked at these, they began to birth streaked and spotted. And here's the thing. Jacob only put those limbs in when the strong ones came. Oh, my goodness. Here's the awesome thing. Did you know that those herds, they always had the DNA to produce streaked and spotted? But it was recessive. So in genetics, you have dominant genes, you have recessive genes. So the ability to produce the streaked and spotted was in them. It just wasn't manifesting because it was, there was something else that was dominant over that. Mm. Y'all following me? Here's the thing. If you're born again, you have the DNA of God. You have the spiritual DNA of God. In fact, where, the, where it says born again... Did you know that word is gineo, which is where we get genes? We get the word gene from that. So when you're born again, you get a new set of DNA. <laughs> you get your father's DNA. Yeah. Hallelujah. But there's, there's still another part that is dominant. It's like it's recessive. But God has given us a supernatural strategy to make the DNA of God become the dominant genetic manifestation in our life. And if we would behold the image of the glory of God as in a mirror to where our mind becomes renewed to the reality that as he is, so are we in this world. It would transform what we're producing in our life. It would change what we're producing in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by your self-effort, not by your behavior modification, not by you trying to get all your ducks in a row, but by by you beginning to live out of the grace of God, by faith in the finished work of Jesus that he's already done on the inside of you. Why, you're a new creation in him and old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Get your eyes off of the law. Get your eyes off of the flesh. Get your eyes on the cross. Get your eyes on the new creation and the finished work that he's done on the inside of you. Man, when temptation comes along, you can say, that's not who I am. 
<laughs> mm, that's not who I am. Man, I tell you this morning, you're struggling with something in your life. I'm telling you right now that you can wrestle with it in your, in your self-effort, in your flesh for the rest of your life and just stay stuck. Hmm, that God has given you a supernatural strategy to break out of that. It's in the word. Hallelujah. You got to begin to allow the revelation that Paul presented of the new creation and that we have been made one with Jesus to begin to transform the way that you think, the way that you see and you'll begin to produce the life. Man, the Spirit of God will transform you. You know, the word of transform, it's not change. It's reveal. So you, here's, the, here's the problem. You think, oh, I need to change. You don't need to change. You need to be revealed. I don't need to change. I'm righteous. I am as I ought to be. But who I am needs to be revealed. Oh, man. I believe that's what Paul was saying in Romans 8. The whole creation is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Come on, are there any sons of God in the house? Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. All creation is groaning. Awaiting the revelation of the sons of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we give you praise this morning. Oh, and what do the sons of God do? They operate in the power of the kingdom of God. They operate in the nature of their father. They operate in the character of their father. They operate in the power in the power of their father. Hallelujah. They release the glory that's on the inside of them. Oh, they're revealed. God is desiring to reveal himself in his people. First, he wants to unveil himself within you to you so that he can reveal who you truly are in him. Hallelujah. You're not the sick trying to get healed. Oh, you're not the sick trying to get healed. You're the healthy that the devil's trying to make sick. You're not a sinner trying to act righteous. You're the righteous that the devil is trying to deceive into sinning. You're not the you're not the addicted trying to get delivered. You're the delivered that the devil's trying to get addicted. Mm. Hallelujah! And he can't just come and bind you. He's got to get you to identify with a lie. He's got to get you to identify with a lie. Get you to believe a lie about yourself. 
so that he can get you, because he can't make you do something that he can get you to step outside of who you truly are. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. You're so worthy. You are so worthy. I just sense the Lord is just working right now in the minds of people. Oh, just engage your thoughts right now. Engage your thoughts with what's been said. Oh, hallelujah. Begin to allow yourself. I hear the Lord saying this. Some people won't allow themselves to see themselves that way. Because they're condemned. They're condemned. And they're not, they don't want to, they don't believe they can allow themselves to see themselves the way God sees them. I'm telling you, that's your way out. That's your way of deliverance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, engage your thoughts right now. You're not the sick trying to get healed. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's more to you than meets the eye. There's more to you than meets the eye. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That should make, uh, that should make your Bible reading a lot more exciting. If you would get fascinated with the image that it presents, you'd find yourself going to the Word to drink as you behold that image. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Then you'll find yourself, all of a sudden you'd find yourself like uh, you've been struggling with some symptom in your body, and all of a sudden you'll be like, that's gone. That's gone. Wait a minute. That just, nobody laid hands on me. How'd that happen? By revelation of the renewing of your mind to the reality. That's what happened to me with addiction, man. I wrestled with addiction for 20 years. Wrestling means I didn't want to do it. And I was trying not to. But I mean, when I got a revelation that I was no longer, that I wasn't an addict... I never wrestled with it again. <laughs> well, you know what I said? I'm not an addict. And you know what? I believed it. And you know what? I never, it never did bother me again. Oh, my goodness. Ha, 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 <laughs> You're not sick. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> the devil's a liar. <laughs> That's not who you are. 
<laughs> oh, dare to believe. <laughs> dare to believe. <laughs> dare to believe. Uh, yes. Dare to believe. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 When you recognize the lies of the enemy and you're enlightened to the truth, you'll you'll have joy start to bubble up in your heart. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is not the norm, what I expected. (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Mary Hart does good like medicine. Allow yourself. Allow yourself. Allow yourself, because God's poured it out on you, and the devil, he can't do nothing to stop it. Just allow yourself. Just allow yourself. Just allow yourself. Just allow yourself. (laughs) Give yourself permission to drink. Hallelujah. It's what you need. You need a good drink. (laughs) You need a good drink. Hallelujah. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. Okay, we can do this for a while. Listen, if you're here this morning, you never made Jesus Lord of your life. You've heard already. All you have to do is if you've come in to believe what he did for you, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You you go from, from death to life. Hallelujah. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, that's a part of grace as well. That's provided for you as a free gift. All you have to do is receive it. If just the revelation that we've been talking about today hadn't done it, you're struggling with some kind of symptoms in your body, 
There's going to be ministers up here. Come up. Let someone agree with you. Not to get God to do something, but for you to receive what he's already done. Help you get in faith so that you're able to receive and partake of your inheritance. If you're struggling with addiction, same thing. Fear, worry, whatever it is, some kind of disorder. You can walk out of here transformed this morning. You, 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 can, you can walk out of here and go, wow, I just miraculously left that thing that, that was on me. I left it there and walk out free this morning and walk out free this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. So the ministers are going to come forward. I just encourage you, don't leave uh, without, you know, availing yourself to that. And then be with us tonight for the fellowship. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.